0: or toll-free
1: at 888-382-7502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl at ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Thursday, everybody. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl on the line with you, and if you want to join the show, call in at 334-321-1390. Text us as well at 334-564-1840. Fall Camp almost upon us we've got a packed show for you guys today previewing fall camp as it begins tomorrow brian harson taking the podium today at 3 15 p.m during our show so we'll try and keep you Up to date with what's going on with that, as well as having Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast with us at 2.30, our pre-recorded conversation with him. A lot of good stuff coming up today. Lance, how you doing today, my man?
2: T-minus 30 days until college football, Noah. I am so excited. We're so close, bro. We're so close. And the show is going to be so, so, so fun. It's not not, not like it's not fun right now, but it's going to be so fun when all these different college football games are going on. It's going to be awesome. Well, let me tell you this, man.
1: It's August 5th. You've made it. You've made it through your first summer of working in media and having to try and find a way to bridge the gap between collegiate seasons. You've made it, and it wasn't that hard, was it? I was it?
2: about to say, it's not been that difficult. It's, not been, it's, it's, it's been interesting, I'll say that, but it's not been as difficult as I thought it would be. This has been
1: one of the most active off seasons i feel like that i've ever encountered
2: yeah so due due to the fact that oh you know players are getting paid now and oh we might be expanding the playoff and oh also uh texas and oklahoma are coming to the sec don't forget about the transfer portal and the transfer portal as well so it's been a an incredibly active off season follow
1: espn 1067 on facebook and twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station on the line the drive with bill cameron analysis news and more that's all on espn 1067 find the website on ESPNAU.com. We put up a graphic today. 30 days left until the start of Auburn football. Go and like the tweet. If you're excited, if you're ready to be in Jordan-Hare Stadium come September 4th against Akron, go and like that tweet. Go and retweet it. Get pumped. Tell us what your favorite memories. What are you missing from Jordan-Hare Stadium? Call in. We want to hear from you as well. 334-321-1390. What are you most excited about and being back with football season and up and around jordan Harris Stadium. But we're going to start the show today, fall camp, beginning tomorrow with the first practice of fall camp. What are the three main storylines going into fall camp for you, Lance? I've got three. You've got three. Let's roll it out. I've What's got your
2: first one? In no particular order, which receiver in this young receiving core steps up? There's a lot of inexperience. There are a lot of question marks. Demetrius Robertson kind of making Auburn fans a little bit happier, a little bit more comfortable with the situation there at wide receiver. Former five-star from California also played at Georgia for a short amount of time. Going to be interesting to see who emerges outside outside of maybe him in that group because I believe he is going to play well. It's going to be interesting to see if like oh Canyon's having a really good uh, uh, fall oh. Kobe Hudson's having a really good fall. Oh, one of these other guys, Malcolm Johnson Jr., Javaris Johnson, who we heard a lot from in the spring. It's going to be interesting to see who truly steps up, and and we can just kind of get an idea as to what this receiver depth chart looks like. That's my, I think, if I were to rank these, I think that is my number one, my most important. I'm interested to see who steps up. I actually have wide receivers as
1: third on my list, so I'll go ahead and touch on wide receivers then. This is more about a hierarchy for me at wide receiver. I said on yesterday's show that I'm not as concerned about the wide receivers as I am other position groups on this football team improving this upcoming year. They're young. I'm already resigned to the belief that these wide receivers are going to be above average. They're going to be good, but they're not going to be exceptional. They're not going to be great. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to struggle at times. But I believe this coaching staff is going to pull them through and is going to improve them throughout the season. But I've already resigned myself to believe that this is a position group due to their youth. They probably have a certain cap on their potential for this year. They're, they're all, for all intents and purposes, aside from Demetrius Robertson, to me, they're all freshmen. They've never seen playing time whatsoever, aside from Elijah Canyon, really, in the ballgame. And, of course, you, you had Kobe and, 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 you, and you had zavion capers as well get extremely limited playing time last year but it was extremely limited you understand why you had three studs at wide receiver last year at auburn so i get it but i'm just resigned to believe that this group probably will not exceed expectations by a large margin maybe they could surprise us but i don't think they have to i think you've seen some good auburn football teams have above average to just kind of good receiving cores they were reliable they, they weren't dropping a ton of catches, but they weren't home run threats. They weren't stretching the field for, you know, 18 yards per reception. They weren't putting up 1,000-yard receiving seasons. I think you've seen several years for Auburn where you've had good receivers but not exceptional receivers I look back at like 2013, great year. That team was built on running the football. Think about 2010, another squad built on running the football. Now, those two teams had good receiving cores and better than what Auburn will have this year, but I don't think that it's a need for Auburn to have exceptional receivers this year for them to reach where I want them to get at, which is nine or ten wins. I think if these guys are just good, just good enough, and you can get better production out of Bo Nix and a better offensive line this year, I think these receivers will be just fine
2: I think that's my next storyline there as you talk about the receivers needing to be good I don't think they need to be excellent I agree with you but I think they need to be good because Bo Nix is going to be throwing to him I think that's the other storyline I'm looking at is you know how is this offense progressing and with with Bo Nix under center now maybe a little bit more what is he doing mechanically to get himself right what is he doing mentally to make sure that he makes all the different checks and like we've talked about before on the show and even Nix talked about at media days he needs to have the answers to some of these tests that he's being put through right now and they're this, this coaching staff's trying to give him the answers so how does bo Nix progress and the wide receivers who steps up i'm going to be interested to see because auburn's got to be a little bit more dynamic this season on offense they've got to be able to throw the ball at least just a little bit And i agree with you i don't necessarily think that any of these guys are going to need to or necessarily possess at the moment the ability to hit the home run ball but they've got to be consistent i think they're going to be but question being how is bo Nix progressing in this new offense
1: Bo Nix was my number one on my storyline, so I'll just go ahead and touch on that as well. Bo Nix developing as a quarterback. We have seen players in the NFL, and once again, I can't compare Bo Nix to the likes of Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, some of the better quarterbacks, some of the best quarterbacks to have played the game of football. I can't possibly compare Bo Nix to those guys, but what I'm trying to say is no matter what level of football you're at, whether you're at high school, college, NFL... There are quarterbacks out there that make the players around them better. And at this moment, Bo Nix has been a trailer. He hasn't been the truck. He's been the trailer. This is a, this is a fun metaphor that I feel like Colin Coward does a great job illustrating what QBs out there are, are, are your dogs, what quarterbacks out there are your drivers in the league versus your quarterbacks out there in the league that are made better by their teammates around them. I want a quarterback that's going to make their teammates better. I don't want a quarterback that is dependent upon his skill position players in his offensive line. And of course, they need their help. Of course they do. Tom Brady would be incredible if he had Antonio Brown, Calvin Johnson, and and insert another legendary receiver here beside him in his receiver core, right? Like if he had an incredible receiving core, Odell Beckham, you know, and all those guys, of course, Tom Brady's going to be incredible, right? But the thing about Tom Brady is he makes no matter what quality of receivers in front of him, no matter what quality of offensive line is in front of him, he makes his teammates better and he's still able to win despite the lack of talent that we've seen under Tom Brady and the pro level. And of course, once again, I can't compare Bo Nix to Tom Brady, but there is a scaling process of that down to the collegiate level. There are college quarterbacks that make their teammates around them better despite a lack of talent, that succeed despite a lack of talent. And right now, what we've seen from Bo Nix through two years is that he's a trailer. He's not the truck driving this thing. He has been totally dependent upon talent around him. Now it's time for him to take the step forward and make guys around him better. That's why I think it's most important for Bo Nix. That is the most important storyline for me is his development because this is a year where he now, he can't rely on these receivers. These guys are young. He's got to make these receivers better. And then on top of that, I don't, it's, there's no new blood really on that offensive line. So somebody's got to improve, and I think the the situation that you could have the most optimism about in improvement is the quarterback spot. That's why I'm saying this is the most important storyline.
2: Yeah, I would say I think that is the most important storyline and the most important question. Is Nick's going to be a trailer? Is he going to be a truck? Or is he going to be a motorcycle that's trying to pull a a trailer around? Like He's doing his job. It's just not to the level that Auburn would necessarily want him to. Like He's making the team better, just not as good as they could potentially be. Again, I'm not comparing bo Nicks to this guy but cam newton is the perfect example of being the truck be driving driving the team literally putting the team on his back and making that squad better not as much talent around him I'm not saying Bo Nix needs to be Cam Newton I'm just saying he needs to be consistent and make the right decisions
1: and to go along with what I was just saying later in his NFL career we've seen kind of Cam Newton and I hate to say this but evolve Mm -hmm. more into or devolve maybe a little bit more into a trailer in the NFL that's the scaling process that I'm talking about right you can be a truck in college and be a trailer in the pros so that's why I'm trying to say it's not, it's not an equitable comparison between, obviously, Bo Nix and Tom Brady. But what I'm trying to establish here for, po- for folks to understand is that Bo Nix needs to be a truck this year, not the trailer. He needs to be the driving factor in the Auburn offense if Auburn is going to exceed expectations in 2021. And I think it's extremely important for Auburn to exceed expectations in 2021, especially to help recruiting.
2: My third... My third storyline is not specifically who are are going to be the starters on the offensive line. Who are the starters going to be in the trenches, period. I'm going to be interested to see if there's any sort of shuffling. Like you said, there's not a lot of new blood on this offensive line, a lot of starters coming back. But I'm going to be interested to see if some of these guys get their jobs taken from them because straight up there were subpar results last season both offensively and defensively on both lines of scrimmage I thought this, the results were not as good as Auburn could potentially have gotten from a player development standpoint Gus Mazon and last year's coaching staff did not make the guys that are currently on roster better at least I don't think at least not like significantly so you look at this offensive line I'm wondering is Alec Jackson going to be starting at left tackle is Tayshaun Manning going to still be starting for Auburn who are are they going to shuffle around or are they going to stick with those guys and if they do stick with those guys I want to hear good things about them out of fall camp same thing for the defensive line who's starting at edge is it Derek Derek Hall is it TD Moultrie he's not been able to get it done for Auburn in in, as a backup I'm interested to see who Auburn's going to put at those starting roles because I'm not saying they're terrible I'm just saying they could use a, a resurgence there there's definitely more uncertainty on the left side of the line
1: than there is on the right side of the offensive line. And then also on the defensive side of the ball. I, I, I feel like that it's pretty I, I shouldn't say that it's certain who your starters are, but I think you can pick out a couple of names. You're like, Oh yeah, those guys are going to play a big role on the defensive line. Derek like one of those guy, start. Right. Well, there's some push there from Tony Fair as well, but you know he's going to play a substantial portion of the snaps at nose tackle you know that's going to happen so Truesdale is going to be a ma- major player Colby Wooden is going to be a major player on the defensive line you know that those guys are there you're looking for extra bodies on the defensive line to step up so I think you've kind yeah. of got your starters on defense you're looking more for your role players but I want to talk about the left side of the line namely the left tackle position I've heard some good things about Alec Jackson progressing through the offseason of course Austin Troxel is another name that comes up you see him in the spring game you also talk about there are several publications out there, including Phil Stills Preview Magazine that has him as the starting left tackle, and Phil Stills pretty plugged in. I don't know who's going to end up being the starter at left tackle. I think Tayshon Manning's pretty safe at left guard. I don't think that we've seen anyone make a push for his spot at left guard. Of course, you could move Brandon Council. To left guard, if you really wanted to start Keandre Jones at right guard, Keandre Jones is somebody that I've been extremely impressed with, but it seems like this coaching staff has loved Tayshon Manning. He was an Iron Man of the Week. He came out of this coaching staff's mouths a lot of times throughout the spring as a guy who really looked like he was shaping his body and conditioning well and was keeping up with these military-like strength and conditioning routines. Tayshaun Manning Seems to me he's somebody that I don't have a whole lot of concern with at left guard at this point. It's left tackle for me and the assemblance of this offensive line generating chemistry and really improving. Left tackle is a spot that I think has a wide open door and there is a true competition. But, of course, this coaching staff throughout fall camp is going to say that there's a competition at every spot, and there honestly should be. You should have to earn respect from this new coaching staff and earn
2: your job all over again. So let me repeat uh, what I said. I'm looking to see who the starters are. If there's no shakeup, I want to hear good things about them. If yeah. there is, I'm interested to see where the shuffle lies because I do think there are a couple different I do think that there are a couple couple different spots in the twin- trenches that as the season progresses the current starters could be overtaken by guys that are on the depth chart right now.
1: Aside from left tackle, where is it? I
2: think it is left tackle. I think you could also see left and right guard shuffle around, especially if you want to move Brandon Council into a different spot. And then on defensive line, I am looking at those two edge r- rushers. I am looking at TD Moultrie. I'm looking to see somebody like Eku Liotta, Psychevius Walker potentially. I'm looking to see Dylan Brooks maybe step up, some, new f- some freshmen, some new blood. I'm not saying that they're going to take the, the, that starting role away. I'm just saying I'm going to be interested to see who, who starts mixing themselves in and if they start to assert themselves on that line.
1: When we come back, we answer the question that I asked at the end of yesterday's show. Who will win more games in 2021, Auburn or UCF? Back on the line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. What are your storylines? Tell us about it. Call in or text us. Call number, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. What are your storylines for fall camp for Auburn as they open it up in 2021? If you're an Alabama fan, tell us what your storylines are for Bama. If you're a Georgia fan. Tell us what your storylines are for Georgia Any other team. Any other team that you're a fan of, we'll talk to you about it, of course. We'll talk about Alabama storylines coming up at 3 o'clock later on in the show. But coming up at 2.30, we got Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast joining us. So stay tuned for that conversation. Now, Lance, going back to yesterday's show, I gave you 30 seconds to give me an answer on this. Of course, I dropped the bomb, and honestly, that was not the time to do it. I'm glad that we've saved this topic for today to break this down a bit who will win more games in 2021 Auburn or UCF and I'm stirring the pot here and I'm doing this and I'm opening this question up to you because of Big Cat Bryant's comments that he made over the weekend saying that UCF would for sure beat Auburn now is this the greatest measuring stick to say which team had a more successful season certainly not the American Athletic Conference is a much easier conference than the Southeastern Conference of course SEC Commissioner Greg Sakey's not hitting up AAC teams to join the SEC, especially not UCF. But I think it is going to be something that is looked at at the end of this year, especially if UCF has a great season, 11-1, and 12-0 time of year. If they were to win the American Athletic Conference and Auburn were to struggle, get to 8-4 and four or 7-5, and five, I definitely think it's something that will come up in conversation.
2: I think whenever you look at both of these schedules – I'm not saying that Auburn is a a worse team than UCF. I just think the schedule really lines up for UCF. It is a
1: much easier schedule, and so I'll run through that. But first, of course, everybody knows Auburn's schedule, month of September, relatively favorable. You open up the year Akron, Alabama State, Penn State, Georgia State, UCF in a much different situation. Of course, they open it up right away with that home game in the bounce house against Boise State, And that's one of their tough non-conference opponents that they play in addition to Louisville. Those two non-conference games, especially if they don't win them, those two non-conference games could be the decider between these
2: two teams. Yeah, whenever you look at that Cincinnati game, wh- looking at this UCF schedule, honestly, like you said, 12-0, and twelve 11-1, and I think genuinely they could make it to 11-1. and 1. Now, the Cincinnati game is going to be incredibly tough uh, for UCF, but you look at that schedule, I think 11-1, and 10-2 is very reasonable, and I'm going to be honest, it's, it's really difficult to look at Auburn's schedule and find <laughs> 11 wins that, that feel as comfortable as UCF's schedule do- does. Now, again, does not mean that UCF is more talented than Auburn, obviously, Auburn plays a much tougher schedule but if you're asking who wins more games and again i don't think like you said i don't think it's a great measuring stick i think ucf takes the cake there i've got
1: the schedule pulled up for ucf now they open up with boise state on that thursday night at home then they've got bethune cookman they're at louisville and their third game of the season that's on a friday night make that one tough because Papa John Stadium will be rocking for that one. They'll take a bye week and then they'll go take on Navy on the road, which I also think could be a trap game, especially if Navy has a bounce back year. Their first four games, pound for pound, seems to be tougher than Auburn's first four games. After that, you get into conference play significantly here. Home game against ECU at Cincinnati, home game against Memphis, and then at Temple. That three game stretch there of at Cincinnati hosting Memphis and at Temple, that's. A minefield, very difficult. Of course, Cincinnati is the cream of the crop in the AAC this year. Memphis is going to be another tough team to play, especially with how they could score the football. And then Temple, a road environment in Philly, they're always a tough, hard-nosed team, and they typically do upset a team or two in the AAC that they really don't have business Doing that, too. And then their last four games, they host Tulane at SMU, host Connecticut, host USF. Even add on to that three-game stretch of Cincinnati, Memphis, and Temple. Tulane and SMU will be no
2: slouches either. That's exactly what I was about to say. I would say that that five-game stretch between Cincinnati and SMU is going to be really, really tough. Cincinnati is Cincinnati. Memphis offensively... Really, really, really good, regardless of who the coach is there. They always recruit talent on that side of the ball. Temple is always going to be an issue because they've upset teams in the past. Tulane brings back nine starters on offense, six on defense. They've got a really, really strong running game. They're a lot better than their typical 6-6 six and six record implies. And then, uh, then you have SMU, and SMU's been pretty good as of late as well.
1: Let's head to the phone lines real quick, and then we'll come back to answer this question again. 334-321-1390. We didn't catch your name on the phone line. Who do we have joining us here on the we, show? I think we lost him. I think we did as well. Shoot. We'll call back. 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. Once again, 334-321-1390. Break it down the UCF schedule. You're right. Easier schedule. Here's my main question mark for UCF. Travis Williams, defensive coordinator, year one. He's got a lot of work to do with this defensive side of the football. 33.2 points allowed per game last year. Now, UCF's offense brings back eight starters from a group that scored 42.2 points per game. They've got their quarterback coming back, who was a 3,000-yard 3,000 passer, 3,570 yards, 32 touchdowns, four picks from Dylan Gabriel. Hang on, say that stat line again. <laughs> 3,570 yards, 32 touchdowns, four picks. Wow. Wow. Now, I kind of wonder, in Gus Malzahn's offense, is he going to hit that mark again this year? Probably not. I don't think he will. I think he'll have less passing yards and less touchdowns.
2: Yeah, I think so. Just by
1: virtue of the offense. But the offense is back. The defense is as well. Nine starters returned, but the defense was awful last year. Gave up a total of 492 yards per game last year. This is not the same UCF defense that had Shaq Griffin on it that shut Auburn back down in 2015 or 2017 excuse me since UCF has gotten away from Scott Frost and more of Josh Heupel's fingerprints got on this UCF football team the defense got a lot worse last year as you like to say they couldn't stop a nosebleed this UCF team bled points last year I think that could keep them from I think that could see them get upset in a few games and likely candidates of that. I think Cincinnati's a team that could beat them. I don't think that's an upset. Of course, the non-conference schedule, you could see Boise and Louisville beat them, but then also Memphis. You talk about the teams that I think UCF has more talent than, but they could still lose to these teams. Memphis is a squad that can score with them
2: and beat them. Do you want me to, to blow some Auburn fans' minds real quick? I
1: mean, they lost to Memphis
2: last year, 50-49, to but go ahead. The defense, terrible. Something I, I, I want to mention Nate Craig Myers is on this team the 2016 Auburn wide receiver this is his sixth year in college after going to Colorado State actually kind of making a name for himself last season had almost 800 yards receiving at Colorado State He's going to be a backup wide receiver on this on this squad. Wasn't he like a four four star, five star guy, like a really really highly touted recruit? He come, was. He was one of Auburn's
1: best recruits in that recruiting class.
2: I just find that wild that Malzahn has been able to move somewhere move somewhere outside the SEC and then bring in some of these transfers that were former SEC guys. Like you look at Big Cat Brian, obviously Nick, Nate Craig Myers. Really interesting to see how an SEC head coach and how an SEC caliber program. Uh, coaching staff handles the AAC. UCF is going to get
1: their points they are going to score the question is can they stop their opponents and how much of a step forward will Travis Williams take this defense in his first year as a defensive coordinator and inheriting this group because it is not a good defense they brings back starters there's stuff to work with I guess but it is not going to be it is not going to be a good defense this year. Still even giving up 27 points per game could be a, a, a problem for this UCF school. It could see them lose a couple of games. So now final verdict time. We go back to what started this conversation here. Who will win more games, Auburn or UCF?
2: I think it's going to be UCF. I think, it, I think it is UCF. Think Malzahn comes in and runs the show in the AAC? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think he's definitely got the. I've, I think he's got the offensive guys on, at UCF, and I think he's got the offensive mind to to tear up in a league that does not play like the SEC. Is that win total including
1: their bowl game? Uh, I think Auburn can get to ten wins with a bowl game. I I don't think that does include their bowl game. Nine and three is where I think Auburn's going to get to. It's going to be neck and neck. I wouldn't be shocked if it's tied. But let's head to the phone lines now. Three three four three two one thirteen ninety. Once again, we missed. what your name is on on the phone lines? Who do we have with us?
3: Um, am I here? This is Ed. Yep, it's Ed. How's it going, Ed? Hey, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I just had about three things. I, if if I could just take a second.
1: Go for it. We got about a uh, we got about a minute and a half left in the segment before we have to go to break. So you're gonna have to make it quick.
3: I, I, will. I will. I'll make it real quick. Number one was big cat, Bryant, you know, little kitten, whatever. Uh. My mama, my grandma. But you, you, you don't just do the same. He's saying that he's he followed Gus down to UCF, uh, and knowing that, and now saying that Gus was, Gus is the reason that we're depleted of talent. So he followed the guy that did, that left Auburn dry, you know, down to UCF. It, but UCF will have more wins this year. Uh, but let me ask you just real quick: Who do you think, with the NFL and the NCAA, uh, has a better grasp on COVID right now?
2: Ooh,
1: see, I, I think the NFL has put more stringent guidelines that that the whole league has to follow, whereas each of the individual universities in college have to make Uh-oh. their own decisions which I kind of actually favor the collegiate model a lot more than the NFL model. But if you want to say which team has a better grasp or, or a better hold or control on it, I would probably say the NFL.
3: Yeah, yeah I, I kind of agree with you. that. What I'm wondering about is, uh, I mean, it's, it, it's obvious that uh, Harson's not going to get the shot. It, it, is he going to be held responsible? Is he going to have to make meetings from behind, you know, I just—I think Carson is sitting a bad example.
1: Hey, Ed, we got to head to a, uh, a quick break here, my man. But uh, we'll, we'll talk to you later on. Yes, sir. Thank you. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Thursday edition of the show, we've got Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast with us, Zach. How you doing today, my man?
4: Guys, I'm doing well. It's always a pleasure to be on the line with you guys. What's going on? Well, that's what we're going to
1: ask you today
4: okay. is what's going on in the Auburn sports world. Of course, I've been in Orlando
1: for, for quite a little bit, and I come back in, and all of a sudden I realize I was in the same zip code or, or same area as Big Cat Bryant when he was having some jokes. What I know. was your takeaway? Yeah, I mean,
4: you should have walked over to UCF's campus, and you should have uh, you should have had a really logical conversation and maybe knocked some sense into the guy. No, all joking aside, I was shocked. I was shocked that he said this because, you know, so many people are saying this, and I had people say this on Locked on Auburn on my show throughout the week, but it's been interesting to see how many people are like, oh, yep, Gus Malzon's culture has now moved from Auburn to UCF, you can see the difference, and it's like, no, no, think of a time a player has said something like that in the past eight years under Gus, like that didn't happen under him, This was Big, big Cat went rogue, and, and I don't know why he decided to do that, but hey, Auburn is still on his mind. And uh, I I don't know why. I mean, it's just one of those things, like, what did he benefit from that? I don't think he got any clout from it, but he did get some attention. Maybe that's what he wanted.
2: Rent-free, baby. Rent-free.
4: you got to imagine that Gus Malzahn's
1: going to be asked about this pretty soon, right? Fall camp's getting started. you got to
4: imagine he's going to get asked. Right. Yeah, and he knows that. I mean, he's played this game before. I mean, he is... The way Malzahn has run a program, right, has been how can I draw the least amount of attention to the words that I say? And all of a sudden, his next presser becomes extremely interesting for Auburn fans, SEC fans, and a lot of college football fans around the country. So I'm sure he and Big Cat had a very animated conversation after this, uh, after all this came out. But still, I mean, I just keep asking the question over and over again. Why in the world would Big Cat say this? And, And I don't know the answer.
1: Maybe I'm stirring the pot here, Please Open this do. question up to both of you. And I, I said I was going to drop a bomb on Lance yesterday at the end of the show. It was not the question to drop with like three minutes.
4: It was like less than no, a left No, there was 30 the seconds
1: left, yeah. Who wins more games this year, UCF
4: or Auburn? Oh, man, I don't know what UCF schedule's like. That's not a
1: fair barometer of which team is better because a lot of times, and for instance, the year that Auburn beat Memphis in the Birmingham Bowl, Auburn was a six-win team going into that game. Memphis was a nine- or a ten-win team going into that ballgame, and Auburn dominated Memphis, right? So it's not a fair measuring stick, just wins and losses, but I do think that 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 is something that will be looked at at the end of the
4: year. If the answer to that question is not UCF, Gus Malzahn really failed in 2021, but... I think an interesting talking point here, and I was asked this question by um, by Doug Amos, uh, our friends uh, on the Max Roundtable. He asked me on my radio hit yesterday, what do you guys think the split of the Auburn fan base is for who will win between Boise State and UCF on September 2nd, some Thursday night action? Do you think Auburn is pulling for Boise so they can say, Up, oh, those are Brian Harson's guys. Brian Harson built that. Or UCF, just because a lot of Auburn fans still like Gus Malzahn.
1: Oh, Boise, without a doubt. And I was listening to your response on that. And I said eighty twenty,
4: 20 I think.
1: Yeah, I would, I would imagine, if not more. Yeah, I think Auburn folks should be rooting for Boise State in that ballgame. Nothing against Gus Malzahn and the UCF program, but it's more about you want to have some confidence in Brian Harson and what he built at Boise State rather than yeah. Gus Malzahn just walking into UCF first year and all of a sudden beating them but then again it's not the same regime it's not the same coaching staff Mm -hmm. at Boise State so is that even a fair question to ask probably not
2: now if I'm a betting man I'm probably picking UCF to win that game because it's at home in Orlando but I will be pulling for Boise State
4: uh yes yeah and I think I will be too more so because of the Big Cat Bryant conversations than than anything else. I mean, we saw this. Who did Iowa State beat when Chizik? They beat Oklahoma State, right? And every Auburn fans were like, oh, those were Chizik's players. Mm-hmm. Do y'all remember that? Mm-hmm. There was like some big upset that happened in, um, in, I guess it would have been like 2009 or 2010. And Iowa State beat someone they weren't supposed to. And I think it was Oklahoma State. And Auburn fans were like, oh, those are Chiswick's kids yeah that's a win for Auburn I think it'd be a similar thing whenever Boise does something well for the next few years I'm sure I I agree with that 100 percent I gotta go find that game now I think it was Oklahoma
1: State moving on in our topic here talking fall camp with you Zach as today Brian Harsin will be taking the podium for the first time of fall camp practice getting started on Friday what are some of the main storylines for you that you're looking
4: at I think when it's all said and done, it's going to be about the receivers, and I think it's going to be about um, who's the third string running back. I think those are the most interesting things, and then because like a lot of these questions about the defensive side of the football in regards to like rotation about the defensive front and the defensive backfield, you know they've got like thirty really good <laughs> defensive backs. How are they going to play them all and where? We may get a pecking order and a depth chart, but we still have no idea what the rotation looks like for those kind of things. Right. For a receiver, I think you're going to see more of a, okay, they're probably going to run a lot of three wide receiver sets. I think you're going to see three to four receivers emerge, and then I think there's going to be a drop-off there. And as far as the running back goes, you know, Tank and Shivers, they are only going to be able to take so many carries, especially early on, because they're not going to run those guys into the ground before Penn State. So. Who who's going to be the third running back there? Is it Jordan Ingram or is it Jarquez Hunter? That'll be fun.
2: I posed this question to Justin Ferguson uh, earlier this week, and I want to ask you specifically, Brian Harson has talked about being 1-0, getting that first game under their belt and focusing on Akron and going out and beating Akron. I was talking about the entire September slate, but I want to ask you specifically for the Akron game, which unit has to be the MVP of that game for Auburn, offensively or defensively? What's the most important unit? for Auburn is it the running backs is it the quarterback position is it the receivers having a good game is it the defensive line actually getting a push and Auburn fans seeing that and getting excited about that what unit has to be the MVP
4: against Akron against Akron gosh um I think Auburn fans would want it to be quarterback play is Bo Nix going to be out there and being comfortable and having fun in this new offense or because like the offensive line is going to look good they should look good against you know a smaller defensive line and and, you know a weaker defensive line the defensive front should look very I mean Auburn should absolutely dominate the trenches so I don't think it's either of those receivers should have no problem getting wide open but you still kind of want to see that um I'll say receivers as I kind of talk my way through this I'll, I'll say the wide receiving group yeah yeah I stand
1: with quarterback play I want to see Bonex Nix throw for like, I don't know how long he's going to be in the ball game, so his passing guards will be limited, but I definitely want to see him hit 200. Um, do you think he throws more than 20 passes? Because I don't think he does. I think he does. Really? And my, my reasoning on that is, and, and I, I don't know if this is going to be extremely vanilla just because it's Akron or Alabama State in the first two weeks. I think you have to find out if this team can run this offense you're installing a new system. You have to make sure that you're getting ready for that Penn State game. I don't know if the the first time you see certain concepts and stuff is that Penn State game because they won't be prepared in a live game setting to run it. I think you have to run it against Alabama State and Akron. So I do think that we see more than 20 passes.
4: And you can make the argument either way, right? You can make the argument of, okay, you want to keep it vanilla. You want to keep it very simple because you want to hide as much as possible as you get ready for Penn State and LSU. Or do you put as much on tape and tendency breakers, and almost kind of disguise what you actually do, disguise who you actually are. Because maybe Penn State and LSU would waste time in preparation for other things. You can make the argument either way. I think we're going to, earlier on in the summer, and I don't know what changed my opinion, I thought that we're going to just throw a bunch at, you know, and kind of be where you are. It's just like, let's see what they can do. Throw everything
1: on the wall, and let's see what painting is made.
4: Yeah. As we get closer to the season, and, you know, the, the more I look at, at this team I really just get the feeling they're going to line up and just beat you and not do anything crazy about it I don't know why my opinion changed on that but I think we're going to see a very simple game plan uh, leading up to Penn State I want to talk about that Penn State game for a second because I think there is an interesting
2: answer to the most important unit if Auburn is going to have success against Penn State the unit that has to do the best is, is what unit? The defensive line. Yes. The defensive I, line. You yeah, agree? Yes, I agree.
4: Yeah, I mean, Sean, you have to make Sean Clifford beat you. Right. Because I think Penn State's going to be able to run the football. Um, but if Auburn, specifically the front seven, but if you had to narrow down, I feel confident that the linebackers will be able to perform. So can the defensive front do that? And it's going to be fun to see. This would not shock me at all. If Auburn only showed like three and four man fronts, against you know the first two opponents and then Penn State rolls out and it's like we hear you know how multiple and how diverse this Derek Mason defense is all of a sudden snap one oh there's five guys with their hands on the ground you know and just kind of put different things on tape and then LSU has to you know prepare for so many different things offensively going up against Auburn's defensive front but I think you're going to see something like that. So that kind of could be something, the game within the game, that Auburn fans could watch over the first few weeks of the season. We've talked
2: about it during the offseason. I'm going to continue to bring up this stat. Sean Clifford does not do well when they force him to throw the football. He is turnover prone. He makes mistakes. 1-3 in as a starter when throwing for over 300 yards. If Auburn can pin their ears back, stop the run game, and make him make good decisions, even in that environment, I think Auburn can put a little pressure on him.
4: 1-3. in three. Were all four of those games last year, Lance? Do you know? No, they were both in 2000 nineteen and 2020. Okay, okay, so there was two in each. Is I believe I believe there were. Gotcha. I mean, with with Penn State, I'm so okay with chalking up last year as a fluke because I think they were better than they were last year. Then they finished the stretch strong and they were playing weaker opponents and and all of that. Actually, there was only one game last season where he eclipsed 300. Did they win or lose that one? Do you know? Let me look real yeah, quick. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see. But uh, I mean, if it was early on in the season, they probably lost it because they started out like oh, and you know four something crazy like that. But Penn State's definitely a better team Phil Steele says Penn State's the most improved team in college football I don't know if I necessarily buy that I don't have an answer of who is they but, lost
2: 35 to 19.
4: okay there you go so um, yeah maybe that is the case maybe that's the game plan just um, just stack the box and say hey we can beat you and Auburn has the defensive backs to say okay yeah please throw on us let's let you know we're, we're ready to go so I think uh, that could be a really good mismatch in favor of the Tigers I'm curious to know
1: what other folks out there believe on Penn State because everything that you watched last year and I know you just said that you chalk it up to be a fluke what's he, what's impressive that they, they didn't do anything well last year mm-hmm. you, I, you're you're somebody who likes to say a lot of times what is what is a player what does a team do well sure and Penn State didn't do anything well last year quarterback play I mean you go and look at his stats he was Bo Nix if not worse mm-hmm. running backs your best running back was averaging less than five yards per carry. The offensive line wasn't able to get a push up front. They couldn't pass protect. They gave up a ton of sacks
2: last year. They were incredibly the turnover prone. Really? Incredibly turnover prone. They lost 10 fumbles last season. I think the
1: nice. one thing that you can point to for this team on the offensive side of the ball that that did well, they have some good receiver play. But they didn't have the quarterback to get the ball to them, nor the offensive line to pass protect, right? And then on defense, they were incredibly average as well given up in the high 20s in points per game. So I'm trying to figure out where all the love for Penn State's coming from, from from a lot of folks out there.
4: Yeah, and I think they are talented. I mean, they've recruited really, really well. I mean, from a talent standpoint, Penn State may be more talented than Auburn. I don't think they're a better football team. Now, the fact that it's at Penn State is scary from, from an Auburn perspective. But as you kind of look through it, you know, I, I think that's a great point, Noah. You know, what does this team do well? How is Penn State going to beat you? And I think they beat Auburn in theory – by doing what Brian Harson wants to do just have an ugly football game and and when, when the clock hits zero you have more points at the end 17-14 or you know some kind of some kind of scrum because I think the defenses are going to eat I also think there's a chance that Auburn just pops on this game on national television prime time and all of a sudden Tank Bigsby, you look up and there's two hundred plus rushing yards and it's like, oh, okay, and then Auburn fans start, you know, tweeting out Tank Bigsby for Heisman or something like that. There's a ton of opportunity for Auburn to really capitalize on a you know a, a magnificent size audience for that Saturday night game. It's gonna be in Happy Valley you know they're going to be upset if they lose obviously with the wide out and all of that there's a lot of upside for Auburn here I don't think people are
1: talking enough about Penn State's week one matchup and what that could do 100 percent agree they play Wisconsin who I think at this moment is the second best team in the Big Ten Conference this upcoming year at least that's that's my preseason projection at the moment I think they get handled in that ball game I think Wisconsin controls all phases of play up front in the trenches. I think that they're able to win it in the trenches, both offensively and defensively. They win that game by multiple scores. I'm thinking like a 31-17, 31-14 kind of win. And then is Penn State's morale dashed by losing to another good team because they weren't able to beat any good teams last year.
4: Yeah, yeah. And then they kind of look back at last season and the way it started. It's like, oh my gosh, we're about to start off winless again this season. Then, then it's a mental battle and – you know, I think their coaching is totally good. I think they're going to be able to pull themselves out of it. But yeah, that's an interesting element. You know, like right now, you have to imagine the coaching staff is looking at Penn State and LSU. Penn State can't do that. Penn State's working on a Wisconsin right. because that Wisconsin game to Penn State is significantly more important to them than them hosting Auburn. Right. Significantly. Because, I mean, it's a, it's a conference matchup. So, yeah, I, I think that's a great point, Noah. Uh, people are not talking about that enough. Yeah,
2: you can't go into that Wisconsin game with a simple game plan. You're going to have to be versatile, and you're going to have to put some things on tape. And Auburn's going to be able to do whatever they want to against Alabama State and Akron.
4: Mm-hmm. So
2: they have a luxury that Penn State doesn't. So preparation-wise, I think Auburn has a lot of different things going for them. I will say this, though. We kind of felt this way about the Georgia game last season. We felt like there were a lot of things going Auburn's way, especially with the quarterback situation at Georgia. And then we also how that turned out. Mm-hmm. So I'm leaving the door open for Bonix having a terrible road game and the, the crowd just eating Auburn alive. But matchup wise, if this were at a neutral site, Auburn would have a really good chance to win this game.
4: I think so. I think you're right. And I think Auburn's got a good chance to win it, even if they, um, you know, even, even in Happy Valley. So, yeah, I feel good about where they're at. Zach, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find
1: all your great content.
4: Of course. Yeah, Locked on Auburn drops every single morning at 3 a.m. Really want to encourage folks to check out today's show after On the Line and the Drive with Bill Cameron wrap up. Um, I I sat down and talked with Zepp Jasper, Auburn transfer guard. Some incredible stuff. Really cool uh, peek behind the curtain what does a player actually do when they enter the transfer portal? Like, what actually happens? Seb Jasper talks about that. Talks about Bruce Pearl recruiting him. What was his uh, the sales pitch to come to Auburn? And a ton of other things. What's the locker room and the team think about the SEC expansion? Ton of good stuff. So, yeah, Locked on Auburn, wherever you get your podcast, Or you can follow me on Twitter at ZBlackerby. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, my man. That was Zach Blackerby of
1: the Locked on Auburn podcast. We'll be back with more of On the Lot. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Thank you Zach Black of being locked on Offer podcast for joining us in that previous segment as well as also thank you to Ed a couple of segments ago 334-321-1390 the number to call Ed called in a couple of segments ago we sorry that we had to cut you a little bit short to go to break but we really appreciate the calls and once again we want A lot of other folks to call in as well, 334-321-1390. Text us as well at 334-564-1840. Whatever is on your mind. Who do you think is going to win more games in 2021, Auburn or UCF? Does it even matter to you? If it doesn't, then tell us about it as well as what are your three main storylines going into fall camp for the Tigers. Before we wrap up the first hour here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. All right, let's take a look at what's going on in Tokyo with the Olympics. Live from 7 to 10.30 on NBC, you can watch the park final and men's skateboarding, the platform final and women's diving, track and field, and the gold medal match in women's beach volleyball. Live on CNBC at 8, it's the bronze medal match in women's beach volleyball. Live on USA from 7.30 to 9, it's coverage of the sprint qualifying and canoeing and kayaking. Olympic replays are on NBCSN with the bronze medal game in women's soccer with the United States against Australia. Of course, that is a replay. The United States took home bronze with a 4-3 win over Australia earlier this morning. Guess what? Football is back from now until the Super Bowl. You're going to have something going on pretty much every week at 7 on Fox NFL preseason football with a Hall of Fame game between the Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers. As well as Atlanta Braves in action tonight against the St. Louis Cardinals, 7:15 on ESPN. Braves coming to the game at 54 and 54 overall, looking to get above 500 for the first time this season. Atlanta is only two and a half games out of first place in the NL East. Lance, the time is now. It's football time, baby. I'm oh, in wa- for the Braves to get above 500. I do
2: want to say though, yeah, I wanted to say really, really quick, sound the alarm. The Braves are back at 500 for the first time in what feels like forever they've been just a game under for like it feels like the entire season but now they're finally at 500 st louis cardinals tonight gonna see if they can finally get over the hump and if they can who knows this braves team without ronald acuna jr may be starting to turn the corner
1: they're in the hunt it's shocking to believe at 54 and 54 at this point in the season they're only two and a half games out of winning the division probably won't get a wild card spot if they want to make the playoffs they got to win the division they're in the hunt though unfortunately for them the teams in front of them are also on a bit of a win streak i think the phillies have won four in a row the mets are on a bit of a slide they're they're only on a one game win streak of course but they have lost their grip on the lead as the phillies and the braves continue to try and chip away at that lead and of course the braves have stayed between that two and a half and and five game back march across this whole season and now with a win tonight, they can get a little bit closer. Of course, they need things to happen in front of them, but it's still there's still another you know sixty or so games left in the season.
2: Yeah, and something I, I think I saw last night watching Atlanta play is I believe Freddie Freeman since the All Star breaks hitting like three ninety or something absolutely insane. Like Freddie's he has, back, he has turned the corner, and with with the loss of Ronald Acuna Jr. for him to step up in his place and really kind of take the stage really exciting to see like the moves that the Braves made at the deadline trade deadline let's see if they can kind of continue the momentum uh tonight I hate that the game's on the road against the Cardinals otherwise I would feel pretty confident heading into tonight's matchup
1: of course also NFL is back with a hall of fame game players to watch tonight as the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Dallas Cowboys take on each other you got six rookies on defense for the Dallas Cowboys across their first six picks those guys are going to be taking the field for Dallas as they as they've got like eight projected starters out for this game tonight. Big Ben's not playing for Pittsburgh. Keep your eye on Najee Harris, Alabama rookie for the Steelers, as well as Dwayne Haskins, who made the move over to Pittsburgh. Hour number two coming up.
0: You are on the line.
1: Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 and Fox Sports Central, Alabama number to call 334-321-1390 text line at 334-564-1840 we want to hear from you whatever's on your mind storylines as fall camp begins we talked about auburn we're about to talk about alabama if you missed any of today's show go and find the podcast on apple podcast google podcast spotify stitcher and iheart radio that's all of the locations that you can find on the line. Keep up with all the content the show is putting out as well on radioalabamasports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. It's the place to be for Auburn and Alabama content as well as high school sports content. Once again, that's radioalabamasports.net. Always got great articles up there. That's also another location that you can find on the line content and the on the line podcast. As I mentioned, we talked about main storylines for Auburn to open up the show today now let's talk about alabama as they begin fall camp tomorrow as well three main storylines for alabama going into fall camp Lance, take it
2: away very similar to auburn for me i think a lot of questions are surrounding this young receiving core obviously you've got john metchie the third he's going to lead that group almost had a thousand yards receiving sitting behind last year's heisman winner really impressive numbers there you've got slade bolton Bolden you've got is it Ajayi Hall or how do you pronounce his first name going with A. J. Hall A.J. Hall okay I'm cool with that A.J. Hall you've got that freshman receiver had a very solid spring game for Alabama going to be interested to see I don't necessarily think Bryce Young is a question mark I feel like a lot of fans in, in this coaching staff are very comfortable with him right now but I, I am going to be interested to see who he's throwing the ball to outside of Mechie and how often because, again, it's just—it's not that Alabama doesn't have the talent or doesn't have the ability to get the ball to these receivers. It's just we simply haven't seen the next five-star guy up. Well, the
1: thing is, Alabama fans have been spoiled, right? In the progression of quarterbacks that we've seen under Nick Saban across his time in Alabama, which now is shockingly at year 15 out of 26 head coaching seasons in Ooh. Division One FBS – the the progression of quarterbacks that we've seen it went from game manager and and granted I don't want to use that in a negative term because he had some pretty good quarterbacks at the start as well AJ McCarron I thought was one of the most underrated quarterbacks of Nick Saban's tenure I thought AJ McCarron was a little bit more than a game manager but he was described as a game manager and and honestly for him to have stayed as long as he has in the NFL that should be a true testament to his actually his actual quality as a quarterback of course I know he's a backup but still he's got quality to have stayed in the league as long as he has as a backup quarterback in the NFL you still got to be good to do that Bryce Young though you, you look at the previous quarterbacks that Alabama's had they've been spoiled by Mac Jones and a tug of even Jalen Hurts to a degree my thing is where does Bryce Young fall into that hierarchy and, and you're talking about wide receivers I'll say my number one storyline is Bryce Young and what he looks like in his first fall camp as the starting quarterback at Alabama and while Nick Saban may not claim to have Bryce Young as the starting quarterback I think we all know that Bryce Young will end up being the starting quarterback at Alabama when they take on Miami in
2: Atlanta if it's Paul Tyson I will be shocked
1: I maybe even a little intimidated if, if it went with Paul
2: Tyson yeah, because that, get, like so how good is this guy then yeah. you know
1: But, or maybe it ends up being a good thing for everyone else in the league because maybe the quarterback position won't be as good. But I go back to where does Bryce Young fall amongst some of these quarterbacks over the last couple of years? What we know about Bryce Young is that he is a passer first. He can move. He's mobile. He's an athlete. The guy's got some speed. But he's going to look to stay in the pocket and make plays with his arm, similar to Tua Tagovailoa. I think that's a very similar player archetype when you're comparing Bryce Young to Tua because Tua was an athlete, and Tua could move and make plays with his legs, but that was not his number one choice. His number one choice was to use his arm, his arm strength, his arm accuracy, all of the above to make tight window throws. That's why he was a 3,000-yard passer in Alabama. That's why, that, that's why he was a top-ten pick in the NFL draft despite his injuries, was because people saw his arm potential. We really haven't gotten to see that out of Bryce Young because of limited snaps and limited playing time sitting behind mac jones last year we we really didn't get to see it but where does bryce young fall in this hierarchy because i don't think he's going to be as good as mac jones he's not going to be as good as tua i i I just don't believe that that could be possible i I just don't believe that they're going to have three transcendent exceptional arm talented quarterbacks in a row i I i just don't believe that that's going to happen but is he still one of the best passers in the country probably so it it just depends on where he falls on that hierarchy, ranging from, you know, Jalen Hurts all the way to to Mac Jones in terms of arm strength. Because if he falls on the side of the spectrum that's a little bit closer to Jalen Hurts and, and and the inability to make some of those tight window throws, then Alabama's not winning the national championship this year. But if he falls closer on the side of the spectrum to Tua. And to Mac Jones, Alabama going to be right back there in, in, in contention for the Natty as they always are. They'll be, a, they will be one of those two or three teams that really legitimately can win it all.
2: Something that I thought was interesting, we were talking with Luke Robinson of the Locked On Bama podcast the other day. Something that I that he said that I thought was interesting is he's talking about these these different receivers that Young is going to be throwing to, and he said. I'll be honest with you I don't think any of the guys on roster are are as talented as the receivers Alabama's had in the last two seasons that have been first round draft picks and have just been exceptional recruits and exceptional players at Alabama he's concerned with the guys that Bryce Young's throwing to and so I agree with you I don't think Bryce Young's better than Mac Jones I don't think he's going to be better than two at least right now you don't hit three times in a row on quarterback so interesting to see what this offense does so to
1: add to that which is another reason why on my list, I expanded this past wide receiver. I just said skill position players because they okay. lost running backs too, right? Najee Harris was an exceptional luxury to have in your backfield also that opposing defense has had to account for. But piggybacking on what you're saying about receivers, Bryce Young will have tighter windows more often than Mac Jones and Tua Tungavaloa had to throw into. Reason for that? There are not four first-round wide receivers... Playing at the moment. Now, will they develop it into it? I I have no idea. I doubt it. I doubt there are four first round wide receivers in this receiver room at this point because what happened at Alabama the last two, three seasons at wide receiver is just unheard of. That doesn't happen. They had four first round wide receivers. That is just stupid. But those guys really helped out Mac Jones and Tua because they were able to get separation. They were able to get open. That's not to say that Mac Jones and Tua weren't exceptionally talented quarterbacks and that they couldn't make the tight window throws because they were both extremely accurate to have a 75 plus percent completion percentage Matt Jones last last year completed 77.4 percent of his passes Tua was also in that ballpark to be that accurate that speaks to how good those quarterbacks were but they did not have super tight windows to have to throw into all the time Bryce Young will not get the same amount of separation as often as those two quarterbacks had before him.
2: Yeah, I, I I completely agree with you there. My second my second storyline, I think it it sticks with the with the offense. Who is going to be starting for this offensive line? You lose a guy like Landon Dickerson. You lose a guy like Alex Leatherwood. You've got Evan Neal back on this offensive line, but I'm going to be interested to see who starts at center, who starts at right tackle, and I believe the left guard spot is open as well for Alabama. Going to be interested to see who steps in there. Alabama's kind of had their way on the offensive line. They've recruited better than just about anybody in the country. But I'm going to be interested to see who steps in. I think you could just ask a lot of questions about this offense in general. I really like what you said. Instead of just saying wide receivers, saying skill position players, I think you could also just branch it out to this entire offense. There's a lot of new faces, only three starters returning. Going to be interesting to see if they can. They're not going to be able to replicate what happened last year. 48.5 points per game is not happening again. But it's going to be interesting to see who steps in to their place. And I, if, you're in, if you're a Bama fan, obviously you're going to hear positive things about these guys in fall camp. But I'm going to, if I were a Bama fan, I'm really going to need to see two or three guys in specific step up to know that my offense is going to be okay.
1: So let me extend this out now to the running backs then because we've talked
2: at length about wide receivers.
1: Now you are going with Brian Robinson, a senior, hasn't seen a ton of playing time. Last year in his backup role, he had 91 carries, 483 yards, six touchdowns, 5.3 yards per carry. I'll tell you this, PFF loves this dude. PFF absolutely adores Brian Robinson Jr. And I like PFF's their, their, Their metrics, the way that they grade players. I don't think that you should solely go off of numbers to grade football players, but I think it provides interesting data points and variables and factors to go off of that can help in your evaluations of players. And Brian Robinson Jr. last year had one of the highest rushing grades in all of college football in those short 91 attempts that he had an 89.5 run grade which is only 0.6 less than Najee Harris had last year at 90.1 just to give yourself a little bit of a measuring stick there I have broke down several times Uh, a couple of weeks ago with you guys we were talking about most important players we had Jeremy Law on the show as well I was doing some of the stats and breaking down Brian Robinson the guy really per capita in terms of rush yards did not lose him and Najee Harris, in terms of losing yardage and getting quality quality runs and breaking tackles, they are both in the same sphere. Brian Robinson Jr. has the potential. I would not say that, he will not be as good as Najee Harris. Not a chance. But he is still going to be in the same. He's still going to be in the same tier of running backs. When it's all said and done, he is going to be one of the best running backs in college football. So when you're grading him compared to other running backs in college football, he is still going to be one of the best running backs. And there's evidence to support that based off of his previous couple of years at Alabama. Short playing time, and he is running behind one of the best offensive lines in the country. But the thing is, you can't take him out of that situation. He's, he, without a doubt, he's running behind one of the best offensive lines in the country. The guy's going to be good.
2: Yeah, and I think if you look at this unit as a whole, I wouldn't necessarily say that this is a down year for Alabama, because I think they've got some promising guys waiting in the wings behind Robinson Jr. You've got Chase McClellan, who averaged over 10 yards a carry last season. You've got Trey Sanders, another uh, really talented former five-star. You've got some different guys in that group where I think think they are going to go somewhat by committee, as they have done in the past. I don't think Brian Robinson is going to be the guy that cracks 1,000 yards for Alabama. I think they are going to do it kind of by committee. But... This unit as a whole, like you mentioned, is going to be running behind one of the best offensive lines in the entire nation. So offensively, I think they've got the guys to do it. It's just we haven't seen enough of these guys yet. And so if I'm an Alabama fan, I think a storyline throughout fall camp is just getting to know them a little better.
1: We had Tony Barnhart on with us back during SEC media days, breaking down this Alabama football team. And I, I thought he said something very insightful. He said that this Alabama team is not going to be as good as it was last year. And I agree, I agree with that. That is something so obvious and something so simple. Also, I thought it was rather insightful because, folks, I, I don't look around college football media and I, I don't see people saying that because Alabama is going to be preseason number one and they deserve to be preseason number one. But to say that Alabama is going to put up another season like they did last year where it could rank and grade as one of the best offensive performances in a single season of all time. That's what they did last year. That's just preposterous. That's not going to occur again this year. Now, maybe down the line once some of these skill position players get older, Bryce Young as well, this could happen two or three years from now. This could happen next year, not this year. But this year, they will take a little bit of a step back. How much of a step back could determine whether or not they win the national championship this year. But to make up for that step back, I think this defense is even better, and that's another storyline to look out for because this defense
2: is if it's not the best in the country it's going to be top five I would agree that was my third storyline for Alabama is just talking about a defensive resurgence because I don't it's not whether or not it will happen because in my mind I think it is going to happen when you look at the roster you look at the guys that are coming back something that you and I have talked about a little bit before on the show Noah is if you're going to beat Alabama you're going to have to score points you look at LSU in 2019 you look at the national championship game against Clemson where they just blew Alabama out of the water they were dropping they were dropping down all over the field and they were throwing the ball around scoring points go ahead. i
1: have a good stat for that to support that point alabama has lost five games in the last five years truly impressive lost five games the last five years the average scoring margin in those ball games opponent 39 alabama 29 folks are scoring when they beat Alabama you got to at least hit 30 to win to beat the Crimson Tide
2: that's hard to do against this defense it's going to be really difficult to do this season because I think we are going to see a resurgence on that side of the ball they got eight starters back they're going to have a very 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 talented linebacking core and a very talented secondary not saying the defensive line is bad I'm just saying I'm re- if I were if I'm an Alabama fan I'm really excited about that linebacking core and I'm really excited about the guys in that secondary I think they are going to be exceptional in that secondary Malachi Moore Jordan battle daniel wright uh kool-aid mckinstry six guys were put on the lombardi award watch list today josh job something that luke robinson also said as you talk you list all those names or jeremy i believe he said it those are household names those are like legitimate five-star guys they're going to be incredible this season and then you and i have talked about the linebacker production from some of these guys guys like will anderson it's going to be in saint chris harris jr another guy They've got some household names on that defensive side of the ball. They're going to have a resurgence defensively. They're not going to allow 19 and half points per game this season, I don't believe. I think it's going to be less than that, and I think they're going to kind of get back to, and I've said this before on the show, back in 2015 when they were, when they were exceptional at making, making offenses, offenses turn the ball over. I think we're going to see a similar thing this year. Two of Alabama's most difficult opponents – Come in the first three weeks of the
1: season, guess Miami in Week One. I think that they're comparable to Texas A&M. I, I think they're better than Texas A&M right now out of the gates in my mind. Now that will be there will be major disagreements for folks out there about that because they're going to look at preseason rankings. They're going to see Miami's coming in, you know, around fifteen. A&M's going to be top ten, top five maybe in some polls. I, I still just question A&M and what they're doing at quarterback and on the offensive line as well. People have heard me say that a lot of times. Miami, I like what they've got at quarterback. I think this offense is super talented. Defense has to improve. But nonetheless, you, you get Miami and Florida in the first three weeks. Florida, I think, is better than LSU at this point. I think you get two of their best opponents on their schedule in the first three weeks. We are going to learn everything that we need to know about Alabama by the end of September 18th. By the time that the clock hits 12 a.m. on September 19th, we are going to know everything that we need to know about Alabama. And my reasoning for that is that Alabama is going to get better from that moment on. And if Alabama is sitting at 3-0 and after beating considerably, those those could be the two best teams on their schedule when it's all said and done at the end of the year, depending on how Miami plays. Right now, Florida is definitely vying to be the best team on Alabama's schedule at this point. If Alabama handles those two teams easily in the first three weeks they're only going to get better from week three on they're only going to get better and that makes games against a&m lsu and auburn all the more winnable for alabama so we're gonna know pretty much everything we need to know about alabama i mean when was the last time that we saw this difficult really of a start for alabama the first three weeks it's been a while i'm trying to compare it to their last five seasons these were their last three. So, so going back to 2016, you opened up against the top 20 USC and you had Ole Miss in week three. That was, that was comparable. USC, I would say, I mean, you, I, don't, I don't know if we're going to see a 52-6 to six drubbing of Miami week one. I don't think that that happens. But the hype that people are having around Miami at this point could be the similar type of hype to what folks had around USC back in 2016. And Ole Miss was actually very good back then as well. Alabama won. they gave 48-43. to 43. 2017 they played florida state fresno state and colorado state so not a difficult start 2018 they played louisville arkansas state and old miss also not a difficult start 2019 duke new mexico state and south carolina laughable and then in 2020 they played missouri texas a&m and old miss so and I i think you look at 2020 last year is probably the most difficult start alabama's had in their first three games in terms of opponents but this one right here in 2021 this
2: is the the most difficult start that I think we've seen for an Alabama football team in terms of strength of schedule in the last 5 years. Again, you talk about the way to be at, beat beat Alabama's scoring points. I think Miami's got a pretty darn good offense this season. If they can figure it out against Miami, they can figure it out against Florida on the road. Dan Mullen, we know how efficient his offenses have been. Like you said, I think we're going to know a lot about this Alabama football team because games against Ole Miss just a couple weeks later, games against on the road at Auburn, LSU teams that can score a lot of points they're going to be prepared for
1: let's take a quick break here when we come back we'll continue to go through fall camp sifting through all this auburn alabama get started tomorrow Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl has ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Whatever's on your mind, there's got to be something on your mind. Football's right around the corner. Fall camp starts tomorrow, and that's what we've been talking about largely throughout the day. spoke with Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast as well. All the great content here on On the Line. If you missed any of it, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. Between On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, Analysis, News, and more, there's something to keep everybody busy with Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook, that's FoxSports983.com. Talked a lot of football here on today's show. I want to pivot here, talk a little bit about the NBA because there's some local news there that I thought was interesting. Atlanta Hawks, of course, the new home of Sharif Cooper, which I didn't even get to give my opinion to you guys because I was away about the NBA draft. I just kept going through draft night sitting there thinking, when will it end?
2: (laughs) I realized we're like, oh my goodness, we're 12 picks away from Sharif Cooper just straight up not getting drafted. And then Jacob uh, actually tweeted out, he was like, boys, Hawks pick, could it happen? And then it happened and we were just like, oh my goodness, it's happening, bro. He's going to be an Atlanta Hawk. We've not gotten your opinion on it. I would love to hear your thoughts. I don't love it. I don't
1: love it because, of course, Trey Young has that spot locked down and is going to play 36 minutes a night, if not more. And so, especially when you need him at crunch time. So I wonder how many minutes there is actually to go around for Sharif Cooper this season. And I wonder if that relegates him to the G League, which is not a place where I would like to see Sharif Cooper go because I've said this on multiple occasions. G League's hard to get out of. Just going to look at Jared Harper, especially for undersized guards. It's very hard to get out of because the NBA – like many sports, is so predicated on your intangibles and your physical side. And unfortunately, Sharif Cooper is an undersized guard, especially in terms of weight also. That hurts him on the defensive side of the ball. There maybe is a little bit of athleticism questions there in terms of what he can guard defensively because of that. I think Sharif Cooper was a steal in this draft for anybody that was drafting him that deep into the second round. But unfortunately, he went to a location where there is a lot of competition in the backcourt. Because even in addition to Trey Young, even when we saw him deal with some injury in the NBA playoffs, they had other options to go to. Kevin Herter stepped up some. Lou Williams Williams, just re-signed today. They have guys in the backcourt that are also going to take up his minutes. I'm concerned for his playing time, but at the end of the day, good for him to get to stay local.
2: Yeah, I I don't necessarily think that this could potentially be the best place for him to be because we, we, we talked about this a little bit before on the show. It's it's Trey Young, but w- without a jump shot. I mean, the, it, Cooper can't. Cooper can't shoot. There's no denying that. At least not right now. But he's very, very similar to Trey Young in every other aspect of his game. He can see the court really, really well. He makes incredible passes. He finishes well. Gets to the free throw line. But I agree with you. If he he might get he might get stuck in the G League, and that really really concerns me. I feel like the the Atlanta Hawks drafting him where it was kind of like a, oh, he's still on the board, let's just take him and then let's develop him and see if we can trade him, I feel like. Slightly
1: better comparison here, maybe Dennis Schroeder. Yeah. Dennis Schroeder didn't really possess a high-level jump shot. It was a better jump shot than Sharif did, but similar types of frames as well. Schroeder, very slim, six foot three a little bit taller than Sharif. But you talk about what he offers on the basketball floor, ball handling skills quick first step the ability to, to slither and slide his way to the rim and score at the rim that was really the name of his game coming out of well did he even come out of college no he came out of germany so i don't even know what i'm what i'm thinking about that did, did he i think i don't think uh, yeah i think he did
2: come out of germany actually
1: i know he's german I'm trying to figure out did he play college basketball
2: i don't think he did he did
1: not he came out of germany that's right he did he came out of germany and so Thinking back to that, Schroeder came out, there were questions about his ability to defend. I still don't think he's that great of a defender in the NBA also, at least in terms of his on-ball defense, but he's still a great passer. I think that's a pretty solid comparison. Of course, though, Schroeder was drafted in the first round, and Sharif Cooper was drafted in the second round. So there's, there's, like I said, there's a lot of competition there for Sharif Cooper to climb up into some actual playing time. I didn't mean this to turn into a draft segment. I wanted to talk about news today for the atlanta hawks or or yesterday that is john collins returning to the atlanta hawks with a five-year 125 million dollar deal
2: was this my, was this the right move for atlanta i think a guy that averaged tw- over 21 points and 10 rebounds per game last season i feel like this is a pretty pretty good move uh that was two years ago two years ago rather it was then 17 and seven, 7 this year yeah 17 and 7 this season but the problem with with I think, with this move is you get into the playoffs, you get into crunch time, you get into the games that matter, and he was only averaging 13.9 points per game. I don't – I think this is a good idea because he's shown the potential to be that 17 to 21-point score. I think he's going to be able to do that consistently uh, in, in in his future. But, you know, I, I said this to I, – I, I don't know if I ever said this on the show, but I said this to people that I talked to uh, that talk that that cared about atlanta you know clint capella is good and all and john collins is good and all i'm just waiting for atlanta to to sign that one big and then potentially get rid of both collins and capella because i don't know if i nef- necessarily trust them at, to be my my star center you know everybody talks about how luka Doncic needs that big guy he needs that all star uh center i think atlanta needs that type of all-star guy to pair with trey young and then to get a supporting cast around those two players and they would be just fine is collins that guy i think he can get close i think he's going to be consistent but i don't know if he's he is the true answer there
1: so here's the thing john collins finished 42nd in the nba in points per game 24th in rebounds per game 150 plus in assists. that doesn't really matter because he's a power forward 33rd and PER with a 20.67 player efficiency rating. Look, does that sound like a
2: $125 million five-year deal? It doesn't, but this was the move that the Atlanta Hawks had to make. Something else I find interesting is Young signed a $207 million deal, right? Yeah. So I'm not saying that they're close. It's just like, I don't think that Collins is anywhere close to the level that, that Trey Young is. Well, I hate throwing this type of money at big men unless they are absolutely
1: dominant. Yeah. You have to be absurdly dominant for me to want to throw this type of money at you if I was an NBA GM, because these types of guys don't win you championships. Yeah. Now I think once again, I go back to what I just said, the Hawks had to do this if they wanted to continue to progress as an organization, huge win that this was not a max deal, that they were at least able to save some money on this and that they didn't have to give them a max to get them to come back to Atlanta. That's a big boost for them. You want to keep the core together for them to continue to progress because they are ahead of schedule at the moment but the thing about atlanta right now and i see this kind of similar to the atlanta braves the atlanta braves were ahead of schedule at one point and what happened they're they're back at 500 500 now will they be better next year will they be better next year yes but i don't know if the braves will ever get out over the hump and win a world series and the same can be said about the atlanta Hawks. i just don't know if they have the players right now or will get the players to win an nba finals
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
1: Back on, on the line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. About 30 minutes left in the show until The Drive with Bill Cameron. Listen to The Drive with Bill Cameron every weekday from 4 to 6 p.m. following On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Bill and Dan going to be taking your calls as we are number to call 334-321-1390 as well as taking your text 334-564-1840 once again from 4 to 6 p.m the drive with bill cameron we got 30 minutes left of the show let's go to playing the lines our thursday specialty segment that we do meant to do this last week on thursday but we actually ran out of time for it our playing the line segment today heisman odds these odds from bovada Jacob Hillman helped us put these together. So now we've got a list of Heisman odds for these players across college football. I believe I've got the top 15 Heisman odds in front of me. Interested, and I'm shocked, that Tank Bixby is not in the top 15, even though running backs such as Bijan Robinson at Texas is on this list. I mean, Bijan Robinson's in the top 10. Dang, man. Dang. What? No. (laughs) No. I'm okay with Brees Hall being in that mix. Sure. But Bajon Robinson is... Plus 1,800, Brees Hall's plus 4,000.
5: Mm. What?
1: No. I'm just shocked. So we're, what we're going to do is we're going to go down this list, not necessarily talk about anything from a betting perspective here, but we'll, we'll give you what the odds look like, and then I'm gonna say, I want to say I want your confidence level. We'll go low, medium, high is how we'll grade this. Okay. Low, medium, high, confidence level of these guys being in the mix in, in, in terms of winning the Heisman this year. And, of course, as we go down the odds, obviously those – those confidence Towards levels bottom, will, will, yeah. will definitely dwindle, but I want some analysis on it. So we'll start at the top. Spencer Radler, Oklahoma, 4-1 to one odds,
2: plus 400. I want to say high that he's in the mix because I think this Oklahoma offense, regardless of quarterback play, they're going to be elite. The guy the guy at the controls is going to be elite. Spencer Rattler definitely had some issues early in the season last year. You look at those two losses to Kansas State and Iowa State, not the best look, barely eked out an overtime win over Texas. You finished the season with 28 touchdowns, seven interceptions, had six touchdowns on the ground, over 3,000 yards passing. I expect in his sophomore season, even with not, not a ton of uh, – not a ton of receiver production coming back they do bring back their top three guys but from a number standpoint it's not what we've we've been, we've seen in the past that could be because they only played 11 games but still I expect him to to be in that mix uh come come December
1: turnovers were an issue at the beginning of the season for Spencer Rattler but he pulled it around by the end of the season it looked like a much different quarterback and year two now Redshirt freshman year for Spencer Radler, second year at the controls, and Lincoln Riley has a lot of, lot of luxuries in his vehicle to play with that he's driving yeah. this year in terms of managing this Oklahoma offense. Spencer Radler, I want to change the barometer here, actually, for the players that are at the top, and then we'll readjust it to being in the mix for the guys that have lower odds. But Spencer Radler, 4-1 to one odds. I want to know your, level, your confidence level on him winning it because for me, it's high. Honestly, this is my favorite. I'm not trying to be bland here. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not trying to not have a hot take for folks and to just go b- chalk here. But Spencer Rattler, to me, when I compare him to the other Heisman candidates and their specific situations and their ability slash odds, the opportunity maybe I'll say the opportunity for them to put up absurd numbers. Spencer Rattler has the most opportunity to put up video game numbers at Oklahoma because of the Big 12 Conference, the schedule that he plays in, the defenses that he plays against, and the offense, and the luxuries that he has around him at skill position players in terms uh, of what he's got at wide receiver, Marvin Mims, spectacular You've got you've got great options around you, and then on top of that, you got a solid guy calling the shots in Lincoln Riley.
2: Yeah, I, I would say in terms of him winning it, I would still have it at high. I would still have it at high. You talk about those receivers. I do want to kind of look at them for a second. His top three targets returning all averaged at least fourteen point three yards per catch. I mean, they can stretch the field just as good as anybody in the country. And Spencer Rattler has a beautiful deep ball. You will see a lot of Rattler to Mims this season.
1: Let's move on. Next on these odds, Bryce Young
2: second on this list, plus 750. I'm going to say I'm going to say as far as him winning it, we're going high, medium and low. I will say medium. I will say medium first year with Alabama. I don't know if he is going to be a specialist Tua in terms of oh my goodness, look at all this different talent, look at all the numbers that Tua is putting up. But even I, Tua didn't win it. Even Tua didn't win it. Matt so, Jones didn't win it. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to say I'm going to say medium. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to reserve I'm going to reserve myself on the Alabama quarterback and that Alabama offense. I think they're going to be good. I just don't think they're going to be as crazy as they were last season. And I don't know if we see a Heisman year from Bryce Young uh, starting year one. I go medium because
1: I like Spencer Radler's odds so much more. And there's so much more opportunity there for Spencer Radler. Less adversity as well. Bryce Young may have a little bit more adversity in his camp, which is not necessarily a bad thing. And you have to keep in mind, Bryce Young is only a freshman. He's going to have an opportunity to win a Heisman when it's all said and done. Mm -hmm. This is what is interesting about Bryce Young compared to Tua and Mac Jones, though. Bryce Young will not have as much competition against him on his own team. Mac Jones had two other players that I thought were Heisman quality, and obviously one of them did win the Heisman to Devontae Smith, but Najee Harris I thought put up a Heisman caliber season, if not better numbers than previous running backs that did win the Heisman. It was insane. Like Derrick Henry. I mean, he had 25 plus touchdowns from scrimmage he had 26 rushing touchdowns and then receiving touchdowns he had four he had 30 touchdowns from scrimmage last year 1,466 rush yards at 5.8 yards per carry Najee Harris had 9.9 yards per reception 425 receiving yards Najee Harris was the fourth leading receiver on this football team with four touchdowns as well I mean there was so much competition around Mac Jones that he couldn't possibly win the Heisman Award because of Devontae Smith in front of him. He was definitely second there, but then you also had Trevor Lawrence over at Clemson. So Matt Jones had a lot of competition. Bryce Young doesn't have as much competition this year, so I'll still keep it at medium to high. This is It's somewhere in between there. It's heating up, but I'll still say at medium. He doesn't have as much competition around him on his own football team as the previous Alabama quarterbacks did, so that boosts him a little bit. But I'll still say medium because I like Spencer Rattler so much.
2: I will say this, and I don't necessarily think that this, this is a hot take. I was not on the show last season. Whenever obviously the Heisman was announced, if I had been voting, I would have voted for Najee Harris.
1: That's right, man. That's right. Me too. Me too. Now Devonte Smith was insane too. Exceptional. And I want receivers really, really to get love. And last year was the, the year that a receiver should have won the Heisman as well. Eighteen hundred receiving yards, twenty-three touchdowns. That's stupid as well, man. I feel so bad for Najee Harris, but I, I, I'll rescind my statement. I wouldn't have voted for Najee. I still would have voted for Devontae Smith, but Najee Harris
2: would have been my number two. I would have voted for Najee Harris simply because I don't think we'll. I don't think we'll see a running back put those numbers up for quite some time. He plays football tonight. You know, he, he plays does.
1: football against the Dallas Cowboys tonight in the Hall of Fame game. That is. Dallas Cowboys Pittsburgh Steelers I believe that's seven o'clock tonight on Fox so I'm super excited to see I'm super excited to see him take the field tonight because I think he's going to get some some significant snaps for the Pittsburgh Steelers tonight we're going to head to the phone lines now 334-321-1390 it's a two-man show here today so we're unable to pick it up and get what your name is but you're now on the line with us who do we have with us
5: Hey, Specter.
1: Hey, Specter, What's up, my man?
5: I'm glad you guys brought that up because that that is my – I think Matt Jones was a – I think he should have won the Heisman Trophy.
1: He was exceptional last year. He just had a lot of competition around him. See, there's so much to like about all three players.
5: Well, the thing about it was, I mean, if it wasn't for Matt Jones, I mean, I could have called Matt Jones' pass. That's how good he was. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's true to be fair yeah, though specter yeah. Devonte smith has to get open and mac jones had nah. wide open windows to throw to
5: well uh, yeah okay i'll give you that much but there's a lot of receivers that can get open but if you got to put the ball right there in their hands every time i mean I, he didn't do no terry beasley catches i can tell you that
1: that's true he had that one in the lsu game but you're right most of the time he was wide open 77.4 percent completion percentage For Matt Jones last year, 4,500 yards, 41 touchdowns, four picks. That wins the Heisman most years. I mean, it was stupid that three Bama players all had years where, like, that's a duh, they win the Heisman most years when they're not all on the same team.
5: Yeah, I see Matt Jones being being another Tom Brady myself. He's got that kind of stature about him and how he throws the ball in the pocket and so on and so forth. They look a lot alike. Yeah, he reminds me a lot of Tom Brady when he was at Michigan.
1: Look a lot alike, not overly mobile. They even wear their socks the same way. It's crazy. They look yeah. a lot alike. What do you think right, about see, Bryce Young I, winning it this year? Say that again? What do you think about Bryce Young winning it this year? Do you think he's uh, he's obvious, he's second <laughs> on the Heisman odds right now behind Spencer Rattler? What's your confidence level there, low, medium, well, high?
5: I, I really don't want to give an opinion on him because I hadn't seen him play.
1: That's right. I'm with you. I get you that. Know,
5: I'll let you know about midseason.
1: You might be able to let us know after week one. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, see yeah, See you later. Appreciate it, Spectre. That was Spectre on the line with us, three three four three two one thirteen ninety. Text line at three three four five six four one eight four oh. He does have a point. We gotta see the guy play first.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I do like that take saying Mac Jones should have won the Heisman as well. I mean, honestly, any any of the, three, the those three guys should have won it, and I, I would have been happy with it. I am I am glad that Devonte Smith, the receiver, was actually shown some love and actually won the Heisman. I do really like Najee Harris's numbers and forty-one touchdowns, to four picks. Like you said, normally wins it, so wouldn't be mad at any, uh, any of those guys. I do like that take.
1: Let's go to the third player
2: on these odds, plus eight hundred eight to one odds here, DJ Lele Clemson. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say medium simply because I'm I'm with you. I think Rattler's my favorite right now, and I do like him better than both Young and Yagalele. Um, I think he is going to play well in the ACC. I think he is going to have a good year. I'm not saying he's going to have a bad year at all. Statistically, I think he's going to to be dominant. I just like I just like Spencer Spencer Rattler so much that I've got him high, and I would I would leave room for caution for some of these other guys on this list. I'm going to go with low. And this okay. is not a slight against Clemson
1: or DJ Uyagalele. My reasoning for this is, look, if Trevor Lawrence couldn't win the Heisman, Ungalele is not going to win it in his freshman year, especially with options like Spencer Rattler and Bryce Young. And Ungalele's situation at Clemson at this moment is a little bit more dire than that of Bryce Young because they don't fully have the track record that Alabama has at replacing offensive talent and just putting up absurd numbers year in and year out. Some years they do kind of take steps back. Look at Kelly Bryant's season that he was at Clemson. They weren't as good, right? Of course, you got to enjoy three years of Trevor Lawrence being a stud, but that year with Kelly Bryant, they, although they won 12 games they were and your, your level of competition in the ACC helps you, they were not the same Clemson team that they were with Deshaun Watson and, and also the last couple of years with Trevor Lawrence because you look at that Alabama game, in that Sugar Bowl, they get beat by Alabama 24-6. to 6. So there are varying degrees here. I think Ungalele is going to be very good. Mm-hmm. I just don't think he's as good as the other options. So I go with low here in terms of winning the Heisman. Will he be in the mix? 100%. I have high confidence that he will be in the mix and that he very well could be at the Heisman ceremony. But of the three guys that we've named, Spencer Rattler, Bryce Young, and DJ Ungalele, I think it's most likely that Ungalele is the guy that does not make it
2: to New York rather than the other two not making it i will say this you go back and watch uh you watch dj play last season mechanically he is he's is incredibly sound i mean his throwing motion is incredibly smooth uh it's very you everybody talks about what made kyler murray so special and what makes him special in the nfl now is you ha- he has to be good mechanically because he's only like five ten. dj is like 6 5 and is mechanically sound have both of those qualities you're going to be a special quarterback He's going to have to do it all
1: himself. Yeah. Of course, they have talent. Justin Ross is back. E.J. Williams, also another Central Phoenix City product, is there as well at wide receiver. They've got some talent, but it's so young. Freshman running back, Will Shipley. Justin Ross has been away from the game for over a year. E.J. Williams is a freshman. Sophomore in Joseph Gata at wide receiver. That's what we'll go with. And then you got tight end Brayden Galloway as a sophomore. Extremely young at skill positions. Their, even their offensive line's pretty young. Redshirt freshman at center, sophomore at right guard, freshman at right tackle, sophomore at left tackle. they got some starters coming back, some not. They only got five guys coming back on offense from last year's team. He's going to have to shoulder the load more than other players, Will, that we've already named, and Spencer Rattler and Bryce Young. But with that being said, there's some opportunity there to put up some absurd numbers. Absolutely. But I still think, and you and I would agree, this is probably the hardest road for – those top three candidates. yeah We'll break down the other candidates on our Playing the Line segment when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Only six minutes left of the show, and then we'll be out of here and take it over. Coming up from four to six, it'll be the drive with Bill Cameron to answer all your calls, all your questions about fall camp auburn football getting started tomorrow brian harson was at the main podium unfortunately during our show at 3 15 and so they'll have all your answers for that coming up from 4 to 6 p.m before we get out of here let's take a listen to what's on tv tonight Let's take a look at Olympic action live from 7 to 10.30 on NBC. You can watch the park final and men's skateboarding, the platform final and women's diving, track and field in the gold medal match in women's beach volleyball live on CNBC at 8. It's the bronze medal match in women's beach volleyball live on USA from 7.30 to 9. It's coverage of the sprint qualifying in canoeing and kayaking. Olympic replays on NBCSN with the bronze medal game in women's soccer with the United States against Australia. The WNT took home the bronze with a 4-3 win over Australia. Guess what, though? And th- this is probably what a lot of people will tune in tonight. Nothing against the Olympics, but football is back from now until the Super Bowl. Games every week. Until the end of February at 7 on Fox NFL Preseason Football with a Hall of Fame game between the Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Braves in action tonight against the St. Louis Cardinals as well in the MLB. 7-15 on ESPN. Braves have a chance to get above five hundred for the first time this season. So much to do. So much to watch tonight, Lance. Football! Let's
2: go, baby. Question to you. Do the, do the Braves do it? Do they make it happen?
1: Yes, I think they do. Let's go.
2: I love the I optimism. I think they
1: do. But then again, that's just me throwing a dart into pitch black because (laughs) and hoping to hit the target because it's baseball, first of all, and there's 162 games, so there's no way to know. And then on top of that, the Braves are on a bit of a winning streak right now, which means all good things must come to an end, and they have yet to be able to get over 500. So I'm not extremely confident in that, but just because I want to spread some optimism around the community, let's say... That the Atlanta Braves do it. And then they drop back to 500 and fall below it. Maybe they lose two more. In the most Atlanta Atlanta way, they get to 55 and 54, and then they'll drop and they'll be 55 and 56 again in about three days.
2: I'm completely (laughs) fine with that take right there. I could not say it better myself. And then also football.
1: Let's go. Yeah, that's more important to talk about. Hall of Fame game tonight. Players to watch this evening. Which team has the better season in 2021? I think that that's an interesting way that you can come at this game of course it's a preseason game there's not a lot to take away from this i think eight projected starters didn't make the trip to canton for the dallas cowboys Dak prescott one of those guys you won't see either of these two teams starting quarterbacks big ben won't play tonight either so some different quarterbacks going through the motions for the pittsburgh steelers mason rudolph getting the start tonight for the pittsburgh steelers as many people know i'm a cleveland browns fan guess what shirt i'm wearing lance what shirt are you wearing noah it says, Pittsburgh started it.
2: Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
4: so, bitch.
1: Mason Rudolph getting the start for the Pittsburgh Steelers tonight. Oh, that's fantastic. Dwayne Haskins will finish the first half, and Josh Dobbs will finish the ballgame. There you go. Dwayne Haskins is the guy I'm looking out for. You've seen enough of Mason Rudolph at this point. Josh Dobbs will never be a starter in the NFL unless a ton of guys get hurt into in a, in a, in a ballgame or, or on that roster in Pittsburgh. Dwayne Haskins is a guy that maybe they're looking at for the future for the Pittsburgh Steelers. You get your first look at him in a Steelers uniform
2: tonight. I completely forgot that Josh Dobbs was still with the Steelers. I thought he got traded at some Dude, point. Dude, he a year plays or so ago. in
1: some regular season games in certain packages where they want him to run the ball. But like I said, he will never be a starter in the NFL unless he ends up on a roster and all their quarterbacks get hurt. Dang. He's never been taken seriously that way. The fact that they went and got Dwayne Haskins in the offseason tells you that, too. They've got Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins past him. The question is, will Josh Dobbs even be on the roster when the regular season rolls around? Because I think it's far likely that he's the one that gets cut out of that group and they only take three quarterbacks onto their 53-man roster. Some teams don't even take three quarterbacks. Some teams only take two. And so, will Mason Rudolph even be on this team? Yeah. Will Dwayne Haskins
2: be on this team? I think the Mason Rudolph to James Washington connection could be special tonight. We could see them link up a couple of different times. Well, that's why I bring up these quarterbacks so much is that the Steelers, some teams, like I
1: said, only take two QBs on their 53-man roster. And that makes sense because if somebody... If, if somebody does get hurt for a substantial period of time, then you just go and pick somebody up off of a practice squatter that's floating around in free agency. There's always a quarterback out there to go and get depth, right? So you, you, you bring two quarterbacks on some of these 53-man rosters. There's four guys in Pittsburgh right now. They may only take two. Now, they may still take three, and it makes a lot of sense to take three, especially a Pittsburgh situation where you want to work with Dwayne Haskins, but maybe you're not comfortable enough with him yet to move him into – A surefire backup role when you've had Mason Rudolph for this for this long.
2: I I, I'm just saying Josh Johnson and Blaine gabbard are always going to be out there. You can pick them up anytime. Dallas Cowboys
1: on that side of the ball. First six picks on defense were or first six picks of their draft class were on defense. And all of those rookies should be taking the field tonight for yeah. the Cowboys. So yeah. a lot to look out there.
2: I think it will also be really exciting to see Micah Parsons, the uh, former Penn State standout, playing tonight for the Cowboys. It's going to be interesting to see what he does. So we'll break down all of that action in the Hall of Fame game tomorrow on tomorrow's show. Also, fall camp starts
1: tomorrow. So a lot to talk about on the Friday edition of On the Line coming up tomorrow. Jive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck following us here on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Make sure you tune into their show for the next two hours, 4 to 6 p.m. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.